I was having lunch with Timothy Leary in the late 1980s at a little sidewalk cafe near Sunset and Gower in Hollywood, California. Tim was famous for, among other things, encouraging everyone to take LSD and drop out of school in the 1960s. From there, he took it on the lam from Harvard, where he had been a professor, and spent the next couple of decades running in and out of prison, writing a book, The Politics of Ecstasy, published in 1968, lecturing, leading, explaining, while waving his arms and balancing on the point of a spear. Maybe it was a spear he was wielding, maybe it was at his back. In any case, he was always one step ahead. I very much liked him, and we had become a bit more than acquaintances. He was mature by then, trim and fit, with a big smile, and still handsome enough to turn the head of every third woman who passed by. He had an intellect like a switchblade, and he was ruthlessly direct, so I was always very careful around him, careful to be precise and clear, careful to think through my answers to his questions, and careful to listen. He once publicly chided me for using a cliché. The cliché was apt for the situation, but it was a cliché, and he was right to take me down for it. During this lunch, we were talking about priorities and motivation. I asked how old he had been when he started thinking about the order of importance of life's big questions. Early high school, he said. Next question. What was the hierarchy? What was your quest? the most important thing to you, then. The same thing that's most important to everyone in their teens, he said. What do other people think of me? That was at the top of his list. Number two was similar. How do I look? Given that Larry had rearranged the priorities and aims of a generation, these were startling answers. I was delighted by them. Those had been exactly my priorities as a kid. Vanity, thy name is teenager. I laughed hard, and he did too, when he told me how worry defined interest, and how widespread and idiotic was the dynamic that set so many of life's agendas. Such a notion took a lot of courage to confess, the same kind of courage it took to tell everyone to take LSD and drop out. Courage is maybe not the exact word, but it's as close as I can get to describing the kind of propellant that guys like Leary burned. Douglas Adams, the author of many radio and television shows, movies and books, and most notably The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, was another friend I paid careful attention to. We were close, and I dearly loved the man. He careened around ideas with a kind of flat-out open speed that made him take the corners off things. He was very funny as a writer, and even more hilarious in person, especially when describing an object right after having knocked the corner off it, like when he explained how hard it is to move a sofa up an apartment stair if it gets stuck between two dimensions. Douglas and I became extremely close during the last ten years of his life in the 1990s. I learned early to never get in a car he was driving. When I say I learned, I mean to say I learned I should know better. But I did it anyway, and it was terrifying every time. He had a very fast Mercedes and drove like a maniac, more interested in what was going on inside the car than out. In the same way that courage doesn't quite describe the governing impulse of Leary's powerful stances, Kareen doesn't quite describe Douglas's driving or his astounding thought processes. I mentioned Leary's hierarchy of teenage priorities to Douglas one afternoon, and he laughed too. He confessed he'd had the same set of pursuits. 
At a dinner with some friends later, Douglas began one of his stories, which usually quieted any table, not only because they were fascinating, but because they normally took at least an hour to tell. This one built slowly, and my attention built with it. He was talking about his sense of humor and how it had developed. When he was a kid, he said, he had these notions of what was funny but found no one to share them with. Then, one day, he saw a cartoon by Paul Crum that changed his life. I didn't say anything then, but I sat up straight. I, too, had seen a cartoon by Paul Crum that changed my life. With a mixture of glee and somber respect, Douglas described the cartoon as a turning point of sorts that had faced him in the direction his life would take. Two hippos are standing in the middle of a river, in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by an empty expanse of nature. One says to the other, I keep thinking it's Tuesday. It was the exact cartoon I'd seen, and I'd had the same reaction to it. At that dinner, Douglas made the same points about the same cartoon that I had made to myself. The cartoon was a window into a playground where other people thought as we did, and it had become the dead reckon for both of us. It showed me that someone else shared my sense of humor and my sense of absurdity. Douglas said the same thing, and for both of us, it was a world changer. The cartoon had been published on July 21, 1937, in the British magazine Punch. Neither Douglas nor I would have seen it then. It came to each of us at its own pace. We found it in our own way and time. <laughs> 